We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he will be teaching through a series on Titus. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. Today we again begin a study on the book of Titus. Titus is one of the pastoral epistles such as 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Now, Titus is kind of sandwiched between the two as Timothy was written first and then Titus and then 2 Timothy. Nevertheless, these pastoral epistles are Paul's encouragement to these young pastors who are in the congregation and planting churches throughout their regions. The book of Titus is not an extensive book A matter of fact, if you're flipping through and you're trying to find it, if two pages get stuck together, you might blow right by it. It's only three chapters. It's only 46 verses in all. Nevertheless, we are going to work exegetically verse by verse through all three chapters, through all 46 verses as we look at this series on Paul's letter to Titus. Now, the book of Titus sheds light on what it is, the anatomy of a healthy church. Paul points to many critical areas in the life of the church throughout his book that proves vital for the church to function properly. Thus, Titus can really be divided into three main sections. And I've listed them, I think, in the PowerPoint as we will look at them Individually. First, I want you to understand that he divides first into the leadership aspect of the church. And then, secondly, he divides it into the members of the church. And thirdly, he divides it into biblical partners. And finally, wrapping it up with his conclusion. Now, I don't want to give too much detailed information, but every one of those points have subpoints. Yet, as we work through, I hope you will be encouraged to keep track of that because we did a, a quiz, if you remember, a survey last week on the book of Titus, and some questions were asked. And my hope is that as we walk through this book, you will re again take that survey at the end, and we can then evaluate the growth as we move forward. So, take great notes. And pay attention as we walk through because this is a vital, vital book for the benefit of the church. The first, again, area Paul addresses deals with church leadership, then church membership, and lastly, church's partnership in the gospel. The church must have a strong understanding, really, of each one of these elements as Paul teaches Titus regarding the makeup of a healthy church. And it's from this conviction, a heart of concern, a pastoral desire, a passion for planting healthy churches that Paul writes this letter to Titus and to the church, the island of Crete, to encourage him like he does even Timothy. Paul writes ultimately to encourage and to strengthen this young pastor whom he has discipled in whom he has great confidence, for whom he has a great love as his spiritual father. Now as we approach this greeting within the first four 
verses, we're going to see a greeting that is a bit more in depth than the other pastoral epistles. A matter of fact, the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are but one verse. But here we find a different kind of greeting. One that's more detailed. Nevertheless, this one though is a long, drawn out, complex sentence. One of my big problems as I work through my doctorate of ministry is they tell me, Pastor, you have too long of sentences. And I say, no, I don't. Paul does. <laughs> because verses 1 to 4 is one sentence. And it will become apparent as we read through it. But this long, drawn-out sentence seems kind of confusing at first glance in some ways. But the structure drives us to ask the question, why is this pastoral greeting different than that of Timothy? Now, really, any answer I give is mere speculation. But what we find is that Titus, I believe, has been given a different purpose than Timothy. And thus we find a different opening with a different purpose for a different reason. Titus is not only greeting, which in, he is encouraging Titus, but he wants to affirm Titus from his apostolic authority so that when he goes to the island of Crete, he has some substance to his reason for being there. And so he beefs up, so to speak, the first four verses of this greeting. Because he wants Titus to have successful ministry on Crete. Now the greeting here is one verse, not one verse, but four verses, which we find Paul's overarching purpose that he's given to Titus to support his needs to accomplish the task he is called to. And so Paul's going to lay it out in a way that sets example for the rest of the leadership and the body of Christ moving forward. So let's begin, if you will. Open your Bible to Titus chapter 1. Let us read together verses 1 to 4. And then we'll dive in. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time revealed His Word and the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true Son, common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. I would like for us to consider a few things as we look at these opening verses because what we find here in this greeting is foundational attitudes for which Paul conducted his ministry as a faithful leader. And a good leader always leads what? By example. These are all attitudes that you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, should aspire to as Christians and especially as leaders within the church. So what I want you to first notice is first, I want you to notice the submissive attitude of 
Paul. Secondly, I want you to notice the committed attitude of Paul. And thirdly, the devoted attitude of Paul. So let's begin uh, taking a moment and considering the submissive attitude of Paul. Well, while most of us know who the Apostle Paul is, I want us to consider him briefly. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisee, earlier known as the uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus. Saul, if you remember, was a persecutor of the faith. He wasn't a Christian. As a matter of fact, he persecuted Christians throughout his region and others. Saul was a very intellectual Jewish man, schooled as a Pharisee under the Jerusalem leader uh, named Gamaliel. We know that Saul persecuted the church. He was a feared man. He sought to be a part of casting his vote against those Christians when they were condemned to death. Uh, he says, a matter of fact, he even hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. He chased after the Christians and would rip them out of their homes and persecute them for their faith in Christ. He was certainly not a man in our day that we would ever consider someone that could be saved, forgiven. But we know biblically that simply isn't true. It's not over until one dies and they have no breath left to respond to the hope of Christ. And yet we find the account of Paul or Saul's radical conversion in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 22, in Acts chapter 26, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, Paul begins this letter with a greeting. He is a man that has been converted. And his conversion, if you have a chance, go read it. It is astounding the event that unfolded on the road to Damascus as he was in the very process of going to persecute Christians. In these days, the writers, as we read this letter, would begin the letter with the name of the writer. It's not like in 2021 where we have to read through pages of, of information finally to get to the end to learn who wrote it. No, they began, which seems to make sense, with the name first. And so he begins with the letter with Paul. He says here in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here Paul describes to us who he is in regards to his apostolic ministry. What I am intrigued with is though, even though Paul had apostolic authority, he doesn't start with the fact that he is an apostle of God. He rather begins describing who he is as a bond servant of God. Now, this is the first time in which we see Paul in his other greetings describe himself as a bond servant of God. Usually he says, I'm a bond servant of Christ. So, why here in the book of Titus does it change? Well, what we find in these first four verses, he sees himself describing a bondservant of God. Because I think what's interesting is we find that the first four verses, and really throughout all of the book, Paul has this 
Christocentric, this theocentric approach to Christ and to God and really comparing them to be the same. A matter of fact, as we read through the first four verses, he will say, "Our God, our Savior. And then in verse four, he will say, Jesus Christ, our Savior, really emphasizing the deity of Christ, that Christ was indeed fully God, yet fully man. So he says in verse 1, the bondservant of God, the chosen of God. Verse 2, God who cannot lie. Verse 3, God our Savior. And in verse 4, peace and grace from God. And really when you understand the context of the people on the island of Crete, you can kind of understand why Paul is very strategic in addressing the people that way because they were Jews. And he knew that many of them did not believe in Christ. They only believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he approaches them very strategically. Paul is a man who understands that he is under the authority of God. He is a servant. He is a slave. He is a doulos of God. Paul was a submissive man unto God. And thus, any good leader is as well. And really, any good faithful follower of Christ will find themselves under the absolute authority of God. Living lives that are submissive to Him and to His Word. This isn't something new. This is something that we see even from the Old Testament. God's leaders have always been deemed Servants. If you look at Moses in Psalm 104 or 105 verse 26, he is considered a servant of God. Abraham in Psalm 105 verse 42, he is considered a servant of God. Joshua in Joshua 24 and 29 and in Judges 2.8, he is considered a servant of God. David in Psalm 89 verse 3, he is considered what? A servant of God. And Jacob, even in Isaiah 48 verse 20, is deemed a servant of God. Listen, the reality is this. If you and I are going to be faithful followers of Christ, we too, like Paul, must be servants. We must have submissive hearts to Almighty God, to the things of God. Paul was a bondservant of God. Paul understood that he was not his own, but that he was purchased with a price. And we likewise... Every one of us here today that are saved should feel the same way. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, where it says, For you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Can I remind each one of us that are in Christ, we, like Paul, are not our own. But we should indeed be servants of Christ. Servants of Almighty God. I love what Dr. John MacArthur says about Paul. He says, Paul was in complete but willing bondage to God. He had no life that he called his own. 
No will of his own, no purpose of his own, no plan of his own. His entire life in total and complete, he and his entirety was subject to Almighty God. His Savior Jesus Christ in every thought, in every deed, in every breath, in every effort. Listen, Paul was under the submissive attitude of Almighty God. And we as the church, if we are going to be a healthy church, a church that is successful, a church that is growing, not only numerical, but spiritually, we must be men, women, and children subject to Almighty God. Because we live in a culture when everyone wants us to be subject to them. And we have to be ready to give it all, to put it all on the line for Almighty God. We need to be men and women under the mastery of God. It's what should happen to us when we are born again from above. So we should, like Paul have submissive attitudes towards God and His will for our lives. Doesn't matter what the culture says our rights are. Doesn't matter what the world thinks. What matters is that you are a doulos, that you are a slave to God. Therefore, whatever God says, you and I ought to do. Doesn't matter what someone else thinks. Doesn't matter how palatable the message is. What matters is our obedience, our complete submissive hearts to Almighty God. Can I ask you this morning, do you live your life that way? See, I I can't be your judge. God is your judge. But you know whether you are living a life that is in complete submission to God or not. If your life is full of habitual sin then you're not living a life for God. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect because no one's perfect. We've all proven that for ourselves. But there's a difference in being perfect and being submissive. Because when we are imperfect, we go to God in submissiveness and repent of our sins. It's another thing for the culture to say it's okay to sin and call good evil and evil good and say there's really no such thing as sin when God's Word says there is. We need to be men and women that are unobedient under the authority of God. Nevertheless, he says here, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not only was Paul an example to follow as a servant, as a doulos of God, But something different was Paul. He was an apostle of Almighty God, of Christ Jesus. Now, basically, biblically, there were three qualifications that God gave through His living and active Word that characterized a true apostle. Number one, the first qualification was that an apostle had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Secondly, an apostle had to be directly appointed by Jesus Christ. And thirdly, an apostle had to be able to confirm his mission mission and message with miraculous signs. Now, Paul met every one of these criteria. And so, 
He was indeed an apostle, and Paul had an apostolic authority. Therefore, when we read the words from Paul, we read them as the very Word of God. God spoke through Paul as he penned the words to Titus and all of the other 13 books that he wrote. And thus the authority of the message that Paul spoke, listen, didn't come from Paul the messenger, but rather from God the sender. And so in this introduction to Titus, what he is saying is Titus Take this letter to the church because when I speak, it's not I who speaks, but God who speaks. And gives Titus then the authority based upon the work of Paul. Paul wants to connect himself with the Jewish people on the island of Crete and thus sets himself up for us to see that he is a bondservant, submissive to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, he is a servant of this one true God, and he yet is a man with apostolic authority. He was an ambassador for Christ. And with both of these roles, listen, came sacrifice. As an ambassador of Christ, Paul had to be a servant. I mean, it's in 2 Corinthians. If you read, you can hear all that Paul went through. Shipwrecked. Beaten. And the list goes on and on and on. Listen, Paul had to be a servant. Someone with high level of faithfulness. A greater level of submission in his life. And his life proved that. By the sacrifices he made to journey as an apostle of Christ, to share the hope of Christ everywhere he went. Take a moment and read through his first missionary journey and see all that he went through as he proclaimed the gospel when he was stoned and left for dead. And the man gets back up and goes back into the city. That's faithfulness. So we can learn from this first part of verse 1. And I believe that if we're going to walk as faithful followers of Christ, obedient to Almighty God, then we, like Paul, must be men and women with submissive hearts, with submissive attitudes toward the Lord and to His Word. Because if we are not willing to submit to the Word of God in our lives, then we can just go do whatever we want. Because we want to be our own little God. Our own authority. I make my own decisions. And that's not the lifestyle, the character, the attitude that Paul had. We must be men and women like Paul. All successful. All productive. All authentic believers and leaders in the body of Christ must have a profound understanding that they are under the divine authority of God. And being aware of this reality should become a routine that controls your life and your goals. Listen, your purpose isn't to fulfill your personal agenda. 
Your goals should not be to create personal fame, to, to build a personal empire. No, rather your desire as a born-again believer, a child of Almighty God, one who is submitted to the authority of Christ, a slave, a doula. A slave doesn't make his own decisions. No, our Master is Almighty God. The one who is subject, wholeheartedly under the one who has chosen you. For some of you have been placed for your ministries or is calling you to do the Lord's work. All of us should desire and allow God to develop within us a submissive attitude toward God and the things of God. So how are you doing with that today? How about your decisions? Are you making them based off the Word of God? I mean, really and truly, if God is sovereign, and I believe He is because the Bible teaches thus, then we should understand that God is in absolute control. Why in the world should we try to make our own decisions, do our own things, create our own personal agendas, rather than submitting to Almighty God who is in control of every aspect of our life? How are you doing with that? Listen, we see first the submissive attitude of Paul, but I want you to see secondly the committed attitude of Paul. Faithful leaders and faithful followers of Christ are not only those that will be found with submissive attitudes toward the one whom they are under authority, but men and women of faith, leaders in the church, will be those who are committed to accomplishing all that God has set before you. I mean, when you get to heaven, don't you want to feel like you've accomplished the task that God has given you? I mean, He's breathed into your life. Life! He's created you for a God-sized purpose. And I think what we find is, 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 is graveyards filled with untapped potential. I can't speak for you, but when I get to God, I want to feel like I've done everything I could in my own strength and in my own power through the power of Christ, working in me and through me for His glory that I've accomplished all that God has set before me. And each one of us, there is different callings on your life, different giftings which God has given you for the edification of the body of Christ. But nevertheless, we need to accomplish. We need to be committed. Paul was a committed man. As a bondservant of God, an apostle of Christ. The text tells us Paul was committed to several things. The first thing that the Apostle Paul was committed to was a twofold ministry of faith. I just call it that. I don't know. I hope I don't lose you there, but I call it the twofold ministry of faith. Paul was to first be faithful in proclaiming the gospel, which would in return bring those to faith in Christ. He had a job to proclaim Jesus that the faith that they need to be saved would be imputed to them, that they might believe the gospel and be saved. But the second aspect of faith is those that have already put their faith in Christ would grow in their faith. And so he says, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, what? For the faith of those chosen of God. Listen, God has chosen those for salvation before the foundations of the world. We can't get away from that. The question is, based on what? 
Now, there may be some that differ, but nevertheless, we can agree that God has chosen. The Lamb's Book of Life is written. The names are in it. God's all-knowing. He can see the corridors of time. He knows what's in the beginning. He knows what's at the end. He knows all who's going to be saved and all who is not going to be saved. But Paul didn't know, did he? So he must be committed to faith. He must be committed to evangelism and sanctification. He, he was committed to bring the chosen into the household of God in growing those who had already been born again in their faith. And so Paul reveals to us that a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he must be committed to reaching people for salvation, to bring about faith, teaching and preaching to the point of causing people to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance, to believe in, to have confidence in, to have faith ultimately in Jesus Christ. Paul knows that if Titus is going to be successful on the island of Crete in planting these churches, then they must be men and women who are willing and ready to proclaim the gospel. So how are you doing with that? Are you faithful in proclaiming the gospel? We're going to be honest with ourselves. Those that are truly submitted to the authority of Almighty God are called to be men and women that give an account for the hope that is within them. We live in a day when there is no hope for this world. It seems hopeless. I mean, I have people direct messaging me, calling me, emailing me that are on the verge of suicide because they are so wrapped up in everything but what they should be. They have no hope. Their hope is temporal. Their hope is in the current when it should be the hope of eternal things. You have the message You've been born again. You have the hope within you. Go share Jesus with somebody and trust that God's going to appoint the right person to hear at the right time and that their lives will be transformed. They will be created as a new creation in Christ. The old things will pass away. Behold, the new will come. There's nothing more beautiful. This week I was preaching through the book of Galatians and there was a person, I don't know who they were, Everything's so private these days, but they profess Christ right there on the internet. It's such a wonderful opportunity that we've been gifted. But we have to preach the truth. We have to share the gospel. Jesus reminds us, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always into the end of the age. Listen, this preassumes that there are converts. They must be born again first before they can be personally discipled. And so you can say, Go therefore and make converts and then disciple them. You should be encouraged to do the same. Paul did it. He made converts and then trained them up. And that's what he was in the business of doing. Listen, Paul had certainly had a desire to see God's elect come to faith. That was indeed one of the key aspects of his apostolic work. 
He would preach the gospel to both Jew and Gentile, but really in, in to the Gentiles was his calling because on the road to Damascus, when he was going to persecute the Christians, and remember, Jesus appeared to him. He said, a light brighter than heaven shone down on me and my companions, and we all fell down. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what did he say? Who are you, sir? I asked. He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now stand up, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness you were to go tell the world about this experience and about other times I will appear to you and I will protect you from your own people your own people yeah I'm sending you to what the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God and they can receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by faith in me this was his call what's your call what's your call what is it that God has gifted you with use it go Share Jesus with somebody. Will they respond to the gospel? Most likely not. Because the Bible says there's more going down than there's going up. It's kind of like baseball. You can have a pretty bad batting average and be good. (laughs) Well, that's the way it is when gospel presentation happens. Now, there have been times throughout history when God has done miraculous things and there have been thousands of people that have come to Christ. Praise God for those moments. But the majority of the time, they will not respond in faith. They will reject. And that's okay. You have to be okay with being rejected. So Paul was committed to evangelism and to personal sanctification and to the desire of seeing others grow in their walk with Christ. Listen, we've made Christianity all about us today. Listen to some of the songs on the radio. It's all about you and what you've done and how you've loved God. And No, the Bible says you didn't love God, but that God loved you and sent His Son in the world. This isn't about you. This isn't about me. This is about a work of Almighty God who by His grace has burst through the floor system of heaven to establish a personal relationship with us who are stained and separated in intimacy with God. But we've made it about ourselves because our culture is all about ourselves. Everything in our culture is about me. You got the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod, the 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 me we, the the Facebook. I mean, just think about it. TikTok. I mean, it's all about us. Look at me. We are obsessed with ourselves, and Paul understands that if Titus and the church at Crete are going to be successful. We must be men and women committed to the work of salvation and sanctification, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. And we at Family Bible Fellowship, listen to me very clearly. If we are going to be successful, we must be men and women who are the same. We are men and women who are about being committed to the work of salvation. You say, well, pastor, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't really know how to preach the gospel. Well, listen, every Friday from 9 to 10, I preach the gospel on Telegram. Get on Telegram and listen for about two months. I'm watching people on Telegram take the message that they've listened to now for several months and they're actually doing it on their channel. Isn't that that what we should be doing? I, I can't reach everybody. But what I can do is be faithful where God has opened the door for me to be faithful. You have to be able to do this if we are going to be a successful church. We have to get up out of our seats, out of the huddle, so to speak, take the play, 
and go into the community and preach Jesus while also being trained up and equipped for the things of God here in-house among one another. So we must be men and women who are committed. So Paul was not only committed to the twofold ministry of faith by the way of evangelism and discipleship, but Paul was committed to the improvement of believers. He says, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and those and the knowledge of truth, which is according to godliness. So here we find Paul is committed to seeing those of the faith grow in the grace and the knowledge of truth. The re- that results in something. It, 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 it's, it's a kind of truth that has an impact. Paul talks about this kind of truth in his letter to Timothy when he says in 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul even warns us as, 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 uh, as the Lord's bondservants. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 25, the Lord's bondservant, that should be me and you, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to all, skillful in teaching, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to what? The knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been held captive by Him to do His will. Those who reject Christ are captivated by the devil and His will. So why would we respond arrogantly to people who oppose us to our face? What do we expect them to do? That's who they are. They're not believers. They're not born again. And I think that's why Paul says, be not quarrelsome, but be kind, be skillful in your teaching and patient when wrong. Why? Because they need Christ. We can't expect them to act like a donkey if they're a dog. <laughs> the same with Christians. We can't expect, expect them to be spirit-filled people if they are under the submission of Satan. So Paul's committed to a salvific truth that results in change. Now, I know we live in a day when everybody wants to talk about truth, but Paul is talking about the truth of God's Word. Knowledge that leads to repentance. The Gospel truth. Truth that brings about salvation. And not only salvation, holiness in the life of the believer after you respond in faith. So if you want to get lost in something, get lost in God's Word. Don't be like those in 2 Timothy 3, 1-8, where it says, always learning, never being able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Get lost in God's Word that will cause change in your life and in the life of others. Don't get addicted to the things of this world, to social media. It will suck your life away. Get off Facebook and get your face in the book. And for me, it's like get off Telegram and read the Telegram that God gave to us. Faithful Christians, faithful leaders are men and women who are committed to the truth that causes improvement 
in themselves and in others. This truth, listen, ultimately leads to obedience and into godliness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, for faith is only real when there is obedience, never without. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Listen, if there is faith, right, there will be obedience. And if there is obedience to the Word of God, the truth which Jesus says in John 17, 7, sanctify them in thy truth, thy Word is truth, then and only then will there result in godliness. And so if we flip that back and reverse it, if there is no godliness, then there is no obedience. And if there is no obedience, there is no obedience to the faith. And if there is no faith, there is no salvation. And if there is no salvation, you are lost and will be condemned to hell. Paul is committed to truth that leads to godliness. It, it's not legalism to call someone to walk in holiness. A matter of fact, Hebrews 12, 14 says, without it, you will not see heaven. Because he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. Again, this isn't about us. This is about a work of God. And if God has done something in you, you better bet there was change. And if there is no change, boy, that's scary. Paul is committed to truth that leads to godliness which is a truth that is salvific. Can I ask you today, are you experiencing a knowledge that is leading you to repentance, to obedience, to godliness? But not only is Paul committed to the twofold ministry of faith, not only is Paul committed to the improvement of Christians into holiness, godliness, but Paul is also committed to the encouragement of believers. He says this, Titus 1-2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Paul continually encouraged the believers with the hope of eternal life. Paul doesn't offer these people a false hope. He, he, he doesn't promise them hopes of something on this side of heaven that is only intended for that side of heaven. No, he points them to real hope, which is eternal life. Every single one in this room will die. You will be dead. You will be lifeless. And you will be put into a casket or burned by an incinerator. That's the reality. You and I all have that in common. Every single one of us will die. So what's our hope? Eternal life. Eternal life. He who has the Son has the life. It's in the temporal. It's in the current. It's right now. It's in the present tense. He who has the Son, what? Has the life. If you are in Christ, you are living for eternity now. It's not something to be looked forward to that simply alone. No, it's in the present. It's about having a personal relationship with Christ today so that you can have the hope of eternal life. He doesn't offer a false hope. This hope of eternal life was something that God promised long ago from the Old Testament. And because the promise was made by God Almighty long ages ago, it's a real promise. It's a genuine hope. Because God is truth, He cannot lie, my friends. 
And since God has made the promise, Paul can make the promise, you can make the promise, and encourage believers with the hope of eternal life, which is found in Christ Jesus. You and I must, like Paul, be committed to giving true hope, true peace. Not as the world gives do we give. No, we give hope. We give them God's truth. And again, because God is truth, He is the source of truth, and therefore He cannot lie. And you see, this puts God in complete contrast, the very opposite to what Satan has to offer, which is a false hope. He is the father of lies. And we have to be careful not to give people false hope like Satan, but rather honest, genuine hope which God has promised. Not hope that God hasn't promised to you. The eternal life that God has promised will be yours because He keeps His promise. Paul is committed to faithfully promoting true hope of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we must point people to Jesus. The true hope. Because without Him, there is no hope, my friends. The hardest funeral to do is one that never put their faith in Christ. What can I tell them? I can't give the family hope. I can create a false hope. Then I'm like the devil. But if I'm going to be honest, I've never been to a funeral where somebody's actually gone to hell. If the Bible says there's more going down than there's going up, there ought to be a whole lot more people going to hell at funerals. And maybe the people sitting in the pews would then open their eyes and hear the gospel. We have to be very careful. We need to offer hope. And we need to find our hope in Christ. Can I ask you a question? Where do you find your hope today? Is it in Christ? Is it in eternal life? Or is it something within this temporal framework? Is your hope rooted in that which is eternal or that which is temporal? We need to be committed to the hope of eternal life. Because people are dying without Christ. Without fully understanding. And we need to stand and fight for things that are eternal. Paul is committed to the twofold ministry of faith. He's committed to the improvement of Christians and to the knowledge of truth, which leads to holiness and godliness. Paul is committed to the encouragement of the believers about the hope of eternal life, which, that, which is God's will. And he will, that will be that they will be raised up on the last day. But finally, Paul is committed to the uncompromising message of God. Paul says in verse 3, But the proper time revealed His word and the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. Listen, Paul was committed to the preaching of God's word. Paul had been commissioned by Christ, by God. Paul was under the duty to fulfill his God-given role in which He was expecting us as Christians as well to fulfill our God-given role. Now while God may not call you to be a preacher, a teacher, He has definitely given you a gift for to serve the body of Christ, to fulfill your ministry, and for which you will give an account for one day to Almighty God. Your sins are forgiven if you're in Christ, but you would give an account of how you use your time and your gifts. It was Walter Kaiser that said there is a worldwide spiritual famine resulting from the absence of any genuine publication of God's Word. 
Amos 8.11 continues to run wild at almost unabated in most quarters of the church. We are living in a culture that does not know the Word of God. I don't know. My daughter gave me a statistic yesterday. I don't know if it's true or not. Statistics can be pretty bent toward the agenda. What was it? Six percent? Four? Four percent of her age group are coming to faith. Four four percent. That means 96 are not. Fast forward 10 years, what the world's going to look like. It's coming. And it's coming fast. And it's speeding up. Paul is committed to sound doctrine and to preaching Christ and Him crucified. For this was what he was commanded by Almighty God. Now, what's interesting is I quoted Acts chapter 26 there for just a moment. Was it God that commanded him or was it Christ? It was Christ. Who are you, sir? I asked. He said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. What Paul is saying here, he's revealing the deity of Christ. He's revealing the deity of Christ. So are you committed to the Word of God? Do you find yourself speaking the truth of God's Word? Or are you a student of the world? Preaching to the world what the world wants to hear, making the Word more palatable so that others may not be offended. It was at the appropriate time, the text says, that God revealed His Word to Paul. Now the Word there, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So at the appropriate time, God revealed His Son, Jesus Christ, the Word. Listen, our job is to preach the Gospel and trust that at the appropriate time, God will open your eyes and reveal His Son to you. And I pray by the mercy of God that it will not be too late. That you respond while He is still yet patient with you. Now is the appropriate time. Today is the day of salvation, my friend. So will you respond? Or will you reject? Paul responded. And he was faithful to his call, his command of God. And he did it well. And what a great example to follow. So we've seen the submissive attitude of Paul, the committed attitude of Paul. But lastly, we see the devoted attitude of Paul. Paul was a man devoted to investing into people. Paul had devoted time to Pastor Timothy and Pastor Titus, this young pastor. This letter itself to Titus is an extension of Paul's consistent investment into the people of God. And so here in verse 4, we are told the recipient of the letter. He says in verse 4, To Titus, my true son in common faith, grace and peace from God our Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. You are told here that Titus was the true son of faith. Certainly it seems that Titus had come under the tutelage of the Apostle Paul and was a disciple, so to speak, of Paul. He was saved under his ministry. And they had obviously spent much time together, had developed a trust Paul did for Timothy, I mean Titus. And he had a great love for this young man. 
Titus had spent much time and traveled with Paul and served in great depths. He was uh, with the Apostle Paul in, in the Corinthian church and was mentioned nine times in 2 Corinthians because he had indeed spent so much time with Paul for years before beginning his ministry there in Crete. Probably nothing in their letter that's written with, to him was new. But nevertheless, Paul was faithful in giving him wise counsel in how to deal with the leaders and members and partners in the gospel on the island of Crete. And plus, he had his apostolic authority behind it. So if they ever doubted Titus, Titus could just open the letter and say, this is what Paul says, which is ultimately, this is what God said. So the fact that Titus was entrusted with such an assignment indicates that Paul had a great level of confidence in his doctrine. His spiritual maturity, his leadership, his faithfulness, his shepherding heart. This was a large task that Paul has called Titus to do. To the building of the churches on Crete where there were so many pagans. And helping plant churches, healthy churches so to speak. So that they would be faithful in evangelizing in the island and reaching the unconverted with the hope of Jesus Christ. Listen, the only way that relationship could be built was upon being devoted to one another. Paul was devoted to Titus and Titus was devoted to Paul. Listen, everyone needs a Paul in their lives. Can I ask you a question? Who are you devoted to? Is there someone that you are involved in their lives? In which you are pouring into their lives? Building into the relationship? Gaining trust? Pointing them to godly counsel? Encouraging them to walk boldly in their faith? Everyone needs a Paul. But listen, it begins with being a Titus. I wonder how many of us here today would be deemed able to be used by Paul in this fashion if he needed the man today. Paul and Titus were connected in the common faith. They had koinonia, fellowship, something in common, and it was Christ. They were on the same team with the same mission and the same purpose, and that was to reach souls for the gospel. And if that was their thing, shouldn't it be our thing? It was upon this gospel that Paul ends his greeting with this common phrase, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. God has been gracious to you, wishing that none perish, but that all would come to repentance. But if you are here today and you want to experience the grace and the peace that Paul and Titus have come from knowing God, it happens in a relationship with Christ. Listen, if you want to experience the joys of life, if you want to enjoy peace in the face of trials and tribulation that's coming, listen, you must be in a relationship with Christ. And the only way you can do that is to solely, faithfully put your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. Your efforts, your works, your deeds will not grant you into the kingdom of God. For if salvation could come by keeping the law, Galatians 2.21 says that Christ died needlessly. No, the Father killed His Son 
done on your behalf. And now when you put your faith, He imputes the righteousness of Christ into you that you might be saved. So if you want to enjoy life, put your faith in Christ. It's then and only then you can be like Paul and have a submissive attitude, have a committed attitude, and have a devoted attitude. So let me ask you, are you willing to submit your life to Christ today? Commit your life to the things of God, to walk faithfully and honor the Lord with your life. And would you be willing to be devoted to one another in brotherly love? Because listen, these are the foundations for a healthy church, for a healthy life and walk with Christ. So what are you waiting on? Make today the first day of the rest of your life. Let's pray. Well, thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again as Pastor Stuart Guthrie preaches through his new series on the book of Titus. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.